Well, hello there. It is great to see you again, and welcome back to the latest installment of Lessons by the Lake, the Oswego Private Wealth Show. I am your host and moderator, Ryan Ruff, and as always, we've got our star of the show. That's Mr. Bob Bedritus, the Managing Director of Oswego Private Wealth, and we're going to be tackling a different wealth management conversation here on the show today. That's what we do each time we get together, but we've also got a special guest that's going to be joining us today. You know, if you're a frequent listener of the show, you've heard so often Bob and I talk about the importance of utilizing a team of trusted professionals to manage your wealth in the most efficient and effective ways. Well, today we're bringing on a member of that team, and that's Mr. Don Bielan that's going to be joining us on the show today. Don, being the principal over at Perkins & Company, going to have a great conversation today all about succession planning. So the, the topic, as you're probably seeing it on the platform you chose to watch us or listen to us on today, the topic of the show today is building a well defined succession strategy. So we're really excited to unpack this with Don today. But first, let's go ahead and bring Bob out and get right into today's discussion. Bob, it's good to see you this morning. How are you doing? Well, I'm great, Ryan. It's great to see you. Feeling feeling good, and um, it's a good day. Yeah, I'm glad to hear it. Well, always a good time when we get together. Bob, I understand you've prepared some questions that you want to run through with Don. So I'll let you guys take it away and uh, looking forward to uh, being a fly on the wall and a great conversation today. Okay, great. Thank, thanks so much, Ryan. Hey, well, Don, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bob. Appreciate it. Great opportunity. Yeah, it's great to see you. It's great to see you today, too. And as many of our listeners know, and those who work with us, is what we are known for is helping business owners and successful families become financially independent of their businesses. And most of the business owners have become financially independent because of their businesses. Uh, but there comes a time when they're ready to go to the next generation, do succession planning, which is why I'm so excited to have this conversation with you. Uh, just for a little bit of background on Don, Don and I have gotten to know each other over a, a great, a good period of time now. We both work in the same field. And within Oswego Private Wealth Management, uh, we often work with business owners who are thinking about that uh, uh, stepping away. And, you know, all the crazy things that are going on in the environment today from supply chain issues, from uh, 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 HR personnel getting getting good help, living in this virtual world, and then looking at all the social, economic, and um, uh, political things that are going on in this world, many business owners are considering sometime in the next couple, three years, or maybe even sooner, uh, going to that next phase of their business. And so Don works with Perkins and Company, and Don is a natural leader. He has a knack for detail and a mind for business. Uh, Don was raised in central Montana, and he was a uh, a, a superb, outstanding uh, high school quarterback. And uh, he he had uh, visions, dreams of going to that next level in his his football career, Uh, but he used business as his backup plan. And to his surprise, he liked it so much, he went on to get his certified financial planning degree, his MBA, and has just been immersed in helping business owners like those who are listening to this podcast uh, in their succession planning and their transition planning. Uh, he's a lifelong athlete. He's an avid skier. He plays basketball. He's in the weight, weight room uh, <laughs> most days, I'm, I'm told. And uh, Don and I are now sharing uh, a love of mine, which is tennis. Uh, we've had a chance as we're becoming good friends, uh, even to get out there on the tennis court. So you could say that with Don's multifaceted background, that makes him the ultimate quarterback for business transitions and, and succession planning. So Don, with that short intro, welcome to the show. And again, so good to see you. 
So why don't we start? Why don't we start out with kind of the big question, which is how do you define business succession planning, and what are some of the key elements in that process? Excellent, Bob. Well, thanks again. Appreciate the introduction. And just one other part on background is I grew up in a family business, so this has really been a passion and interest of mine since I was even in grade school. So I've had the opportunity to work with family businesses across the United States, and it's a never ending adventure and a never ending learning process. The, the opportunity to help the family business and perpetuate the family business in, in the United States is a long held passion of mine. So great question. Let's talk about the business transition uh, succession planning process. What is it? Well, I've thought about this long and hard, and the way I've termed it, it's really the process of determining a business owner's long-term relationship with the business, and in terms of their ownership, their involvement, and then ultimately their control. And when I look at a family business, it truly isn't a matter if, if they will change their relationship, it's truly a matter of when. And it's also a choice that the business owner makes in terms of, are they going to control the outcome? or let the outcomes control them. So I believe a very proactive, very methodical, very pragmatic approach to this process is essential. So, so Don, what percentage of business, so businesses actually transfer successfully from the first to second generation? Bob, unfortunately, the results are not good. Um, according to the Williams Group, who surveyed 2,350 families about 10 years ago, they took a survey across the business owners across the United States, and what they found that only 30% of private uh, success or privately held businesses successfully transferred to the next generation. And the primary reason, which I don't think was obvious to most individual, is that it was purely a breakdown of trust and communications. So they defined success or successful transition as families that maintain the wealth and also maintain the, the long-term family relationships. And what happened is because of the lack of structure, the uh, lack of process, that so many of these families lost the wealth and lost the relationships. Well, that, that, thank you. That's, that's gratifying to hear that that's such a big part of the work that you do. We often talk about on this show and in, our, in my practice, uh, the family dynamics, what we call the human element. Uh, within it, within a within a business, and equal is not always fair because you can have you can have children that are working in the business, others who really don't want anything uh, to do with the business. Wonderful people, but they're just not. They just don't have the, the a desire to be a part of the business. And then and then when we talk about, but you mentioned a word control, and we know that a lot of uh, a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, they've been in charge for a long, long time and uh, relinquishing that control and how that plays out in the family dynamics and the governance is a, is a critical, critical issue. Are there any uh, of all the issues that come up, what would you say are the main challenges that business owners face when they're planning their succession? Number one, first and foremost, is business owners have a tendency to procrastinate. And the reason is, is that they have not taken the time or even utilized the process to create a set of well-defined objectives. And the reason is, I look at it almost very simplistically. It's like, okay, what would you like to do with your life? Well, that's in essence an essay, as opposed to a multiple choice. Would you like to do A, B, C, or D? 
And then what are the advantages and disadvantages of each of those options? So I always take it, I think it's very analogous in terms of if you walk into a restaurant and the server said, what would you like to eat? Well, you can't answer the question until you look at the menu. So what I like to do in a part of our team is we create a menu of options and then help the business owner evaluate each option relative to their personal objectives, their family objectives, their business objectives, their community objectives, and also how they want to take care and uh, recognize their key employees. So I think that this menu of options piece is extremely important in this process. Number two, I think uh, what's also extremely difficult for most business owners is that, as I'm sure that you have experienced, most business owners' identities are tied to their business. So because of that, they have not really conceptualized what their post-transition life looks like. So sometimes the saying that I use is that it's really hard to leave someplace until you know where you're going. So let's kind of visualize what that future life post-transition looks like, and then helping to reimagine the individual's identity, but also most importantly, their purpose. We all need a purpose in life and something to strive for that keeps us motivated and a lot, uh, motivates us to get out of bed every morning to be energized and aspirational. Number, well, I put the, really is the next option is, and their biggest one of the common concerns is that we have a, a lack of a, either a logical or skilled or motivated successor. Most business owners will look at their family group, understanding that their family and their children in most cases are gonna be very different generationally, maybe work ethic, training, education, experience. So there's that challenge where the business owner is trying to determine are the next generation children or child, are they capable, are they motivated, are they passionate about running and operating this business? I think number four is financial security, is most business owners have reinvested the majority of the profits into the company, so they're very concentrated on that one particular asset. So this lack of diversification severely limits their options and their transition opportunities. So because of that, they're going to find themselves very reluctant to make this change because of their dependency on this business. I think when I look at also when you back to some of the softer issues we talked about is really lacking the necessary structure to facilitate that transition. So what I mean by that is they don't have a functional board. They have not spent their time preparing the next generation children and even incorporating the basic concepts of family governance. Family governance generally in the big picture is helping the business owner and their family to define what is the purpose for the family wealth. So basically there are only roughly three outcomes related to family wealth. Number one that we first and foremost oftentimes uh, focus on is growth. Well, to grow the family wealth, that requires a higher level of skills, higher level of education, and a higher level of strategy to continue to grow and perpetuate the family wealth. The second strategy that um, almost by default is maintenance or preservation of the assets. So most family businesses, as opposed to looking at a growth strategy, 
say, okay, well, we have um, divergent interests within this family. We have active, we have inactive shareholders, et cetera. So let's just maintain and let's maximize the benefits related to this wealth. And that's what I call the preservation strategy. But then you look at third, maybe fourth generations, the logical outcome is what I call distribution. Because of the law of large numbers, the number of children involved or family members or heirs involved in a particular situation, by default, the assets become distributed amongst a larger group, you lose the economies and ultimately the assets are distributed and liquidated and then the family corpus or the business and the, maybe the commercial real estate, that is no longer uh, available and individuals are in essence restarting. So it, it requires a conscious and deliberate process to, to take the family members through this to help them understand, is this a growth strategy? Is this a distribution strategy? Or is this, is, or is this maybe a preservation strategy? So really, what is it that we're trying to accomplish? Wow, Don, you, you covered a lot there. That's, that's fantastic. And I, I love how you talk about the family dynamics, number one. I also love how you, how you talk about uh, the per, the purpose driven aspects of what you do because we do we do the same here and we know that you just don't walk away from something without knowing what your next act is because I think most of the people that you and I both work with are interested in taking care of the people they love they want to give generously to the causes that they care about and they want to live what we term here that amazing life of significance and by going through a process like yours it creates impact it creates impact on the individual as they evolve and change as they're going through this transition. It creates impact on their families, those closest to them, those that they love. And it even creates impact on people that they're never going to meet as that ripple effect going through uh, the people they've impacted who impact somebody else. So it's uh, wonderful, uh, just wonderful. Uh, so how do you determine the value of a company for succession, succession planning purposes? I find this very interesting, and it's something that I've taken a much broader perspective over the years. The way I look at it is the value of a business is truly driven by the purpose of the valuation. So what I mean by that, because I think we can break down the valuation of business into like three different categories. So one general principle is there is no one value. There are basically three values that you could even bro be broken down into even further subsets. So the first and foremost and commonly is what is the sale value, which is almost synonymous with fair market value. So this is really the amount of value that a company it can generate if sold to an outside party. And that value oftentimes will range tremendously based on the type of buyer even the capital structure of the buyer. So by example, if I'm selling my business to an external third party, the value that my business is gonna be worth something different to a strategic buyer that can benefit from the synergies and maybe expand their marketplace, take advantage of my employees' skills, the infrastructure the, of the business, et cetera, compared to a financial buyer, which is looking at it purely from a return standpoint. So depending on what um, the purpose and the nature of the buyer is, will we'll really drive its value. So that's what I put into the sale value for fair market value um, bucket. Number two is what I would call the transition value. 
So this is the value that will um, transfer the stock to the next generation or key employees that can be justified predominantly from an IRS standpoint. So if an individual makes a gift or a transfer, either gift or sale, we need to document that typically through a formal valuation because there's a um, tax return that's filed associated with that called the 709 estate tax return. So the transition value oftentimes will incorporate what we call valuation discounts. Valuation discounts are the reduction in value because of lack of control, lack of marketability, and the minority interests. So this transition value could be meaningfully lower than the sale value just because the purpose for the valuation. The third one that I bring in that I found with many business owners, what I call the financial security value. So this is the amount that the business owner needs to receive from the stock to maintain their long-term standard of living. So it may be below the transition value and it's really calculated based on a financial security requirement for the business owner. So wrapping this all together, the value of a business is solely driven by the purpose for the valuation and also who is realizing the, the ownership of the company on a long-term basis. So bottom line, there is no one value. Interesting, interesting. So uh, uh, in addition to some of those things, are there some advanced strategies uh, to transfer the business, the business to the next generation and reduce taxes that you could talk to us about? Absolutely. What I find is that there are um, strategies that are available, but it's largely dependent on the size of the estate or the size of the business in terms of its um, revenues, its profitability, its overall market value. And um, so by comparison, so a large, maybe large estate, let's say that's $100 million, we can bring a set of planning strategies that apply to that, that'd be very different than maybe planning for a $5 million estate. And the main delta is the, uh, the desire to reduce taxes. So I break taxes into two general categories. One is estate taxes, which, which are paid at the death of an individual, typically nine months following their, their passing at the federal level. And then there are many states that also have state inheritance taxes. So we can look at estate tax, but we can also look at income tax. So a succession planning, many times planning is done to reduce the estate taxes and with disregard for the income taxes. So one classic example, the individuals that I hear from say, well, Don, why would I gift this stock? Because at my passing, there's no step up in basis. So if my children sell the company, then they have a large income tax liability. So we have to look at both edges of the sword. What tax rate is going to be the greater? What's the likelihood of events following the transition that, in, that could impact the taxation thereof? So back to the more advanced strategies. So recently, by example, I'm helping to sell about a $50 million technology company. So they came to us late in the game. They're just in the process of drafting a letter of intent. So they're getting close to negotiating the terms of a transition. And they say, well, what tax advanced tax planning can we take advantage of? And I said, well, what state resident, or what state residency are you? Well, they're Oregon. Well, Oregon on a capital gains has a tax rate of 9.9. .9. 
I said, we can eliminate that taxation if we change your residency. Or B, if we take advantage of what we call a Delaware intentionally non-complete grantor trust. It's called the Ning, or we can use Nevada, Nevada incomplete non-grantor trust. So we can set up a trust in either Nevada or Delaware. We can drop the stock into that trust. We can complete the transaction and not have any have and avoid all state income taxes related to that. So in this particular instance, it was a $5 million reduction in tax liability. So nings and dings and residency are very, very important. So that's with an external sale. Let's talk about an internal sale or internal transition. So for example, there's commonly used grant and retain annuity trust, grant and retain unit trust, there's charitable trust, et cetera. There's a very common, very, um, very used widely. However, with most of our clients or higher network, we want to have ultimate flexibility within the planning process. So we will explore items such as an intentionally, uh, it's called the IGIT, intentionally uh, effective grantor trust. So this trust we can form by the grantor. Grantor means that the income tax liability flows back to the individual that makes the transfer. We can sell the ownership by virtue of this trust, escape all capital gains, capture valuation discounts. We talked about the transition value. And then we can ultimately use the, the pre-tax proceeds of the asset in the trust to fund its transfer. So there's a lot going on there. It's a fairly complex strategy, it's commonly used, but it requires a lot of due diligence and financial analysis to make sure that the strategy is financially viable. So we'll look at idgets, we'll look at different, uh, maybe private annuity, private annuities, you could even explore using the concept of self-canceling installment notes. So those are some common, generally viewed as be um, a little bit more advanced strategy, but then you dovetail that with a gifting strategy that takes advantage of the valuation discounts and uh, making sure that we lock in current law for that particular purpose. So those are some of the immediate ones, Bob, that come to mind. Wow, well, that that sounds very. That's I know that's not complete, but it almost sounds complete because there's a lot of things going on there: idgets and crats and cruts and canceling notes and uh, and we love Nevada and Delaware <laughs> their and, and occasionally uh, Alaska with the uh, some of the trust uh, trust laws there. So uh, you had mentioned earlier that the company, the the family business, where in five million dollars, that sounds like a substantial savings to anybody in in taxes. Uh, but when should a business owner start? And they and you also had mentioned they came in late, uh, you know, letter of ten already being ready to be drafted. Typically, when should a business owner start planning, and how long does it take to execute a plan? Yeah, great question. First off, before I answer that question, let's talk about why we want to start early. Then we can talk about the time frame. Um, usually, by preparing and exploring the options in the end game, then we can develop the process to accomplish that game. And that's what is really gonna be driving our time frame. The general rule that I like to apply is roughly three to five years prior to the individual either reducing their involvement or completely exiting would be sufficient to allow us to prepare and take advantage of most available strategies. So the focus is what I call lifetime planning versus, versus contingency or death planning. 
So the death plan is, planning basically is what happens at your passing, your assets are distributed to the ones that you care about, and then there's ultimately the tax liabilities are, are, are paid and um, then the estate moves on. Lifetime planning I found is much more effective because we have an opportunity to manage income tax liability, estate tax liability, prepare the heirs, prepare the business, and also prepare your key employees for this transition. So some of those preparatory steps include financial security analysis for the business owner, determining again what they need to receive from that transaction to maintain their financial objectives, but also how do we diversify our assets? Do we maybe put less of the profits back into fueling and funding the company's growth, or do we diversify into our stock portfolio, maximizing retirement plans, or buying commercial real estate, or even looking at different, different types of businesses, and just looking at a multitude of options simultaneously, and then make a conscious decision about the composition of our assets. Because what I have found is the more broad and diversified an individual's asset base is, the larger number of options they have for the transition, and also the lower amount of risk that ultimately the business owner, as well as the family members and the employees will be assuming. So it's more of a risk off strategy that I would term as being let's, let's be proactive, let's be methodical, and let's identify the options and opportunities and explore them in depth so we can make informed decision about our long-term future. Oh, that's, fan that's fantastic. Uh, last question, Don, that I have for you is, what role do you play relative to the attorney, the CPA, the wealth manager, the banker? Uh, where do you, could you just kind of define the roles and, and your role and some of the other roles as you see them? Absolutely. As you might anticipate, it's situational and situation specific. So it depends on the existing relationships within the business owner's team. So by example, if we have an active accountant or active attorney or active investment manager, then we'll backfill and provide maybe other ideas or strategies or analysis that isn't being done. So it, it needs to be very collaborative and very complementary to the existing advisor group. In most cases, the reason why we're hired is because they have an attorney, they have an accountant, they have a wealth manager, they have an insurance professional, et cetera, but oftentimes they're lacking coordination. And usually also they are not being proactive enough and aware of the advanced strategies and proactive measures. And all of the, the five planning elements related to that process, are they all being integrated? So our job in, is initially to identify Tell me what, is, what you're trying to accomplish. Show me what planning that you've recently completed. Tell me about your existing plan. Let's identify issues and opportunities and then craft a scope or a project that is gonna be addressing those issues and taking advantage of those opportunities. Because every one of the advisors has a different perspective, albeit um, very valuable, you know, working in an accounting firm, we need the technical expertise from a tax and a state tax, a state planning standpoint. From a legal standpoint, you need individuals that are very good at agreements and uh, estate documents and distributive documents and titling, et cetera. From a wealth management standpoint, we need a broad, you know, broad diversified um, portfolio that is consistent and 
um, reflects the risk of the individual relative to their entire asset base. Um, from an insurance standpoint, we, we want to make sure that the insurance is properly structured, the ownership is not going to be included in the estate, that the, the policies are adequately funding, funded, etc. So those kind of things. So I think it just takes, unfortunately, it takes a village in most cases that we have complexity. And so um, I'll choose to play whatever role is necessary based on the existing advisor team. Uh, but in most cases, I'm playing the role of a facilitator and sitting at the side of the table with the business owner and helping them to make informed decisions and utilize their advisors to the best of their capacities. Don, you mentioned that it takes a village. Um, we uh, agree with you, but we believe it takes a virtual family office and the coordination of the different disciplines and to sur uh, elite group of professionals and surround our, our clients and our future clients with, the with talent uh, to help them achieve their objectives. And we'll set. Yeah, guys, this is no, this has been a great conversation all in all. Don, appreciate you kind of peeling back the curtain, sharing a little bit of what things are like from your side of the table and how you're working with business owners hand in hand and also in conjunction with Bob and, you know, the team within the virtual family office. But Don, for those that were joining us today on the episode and maybe they enjoyed, you know, hearing any bit of the conversation and let's say maybe they're interested in reaching out to you and picking, you know, your brain, your team's brain, just about their unique circumstances, what would be the best way? So Somebody could get in touch with you. Well, my email is uh, dbelen, so D B I E L E N, at perkinsaccounting.com. So feel free to reach out to me. Uh, I My first step is to understand the business owner or the, maybe the high net worth individual and then provide some ideas and input. Then if we decide to work together, then that, that, that'd be great. Fantastic. Well, Don, again, I, we, you know, we appreciate you carving some time out of your day. You're a busy guy. You've got clients to serve. We'll let you get back to doing that. But uh, again, thanks for jumping aboard and being with us on the show here today. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Bob. It's my pleasure. All right. Appreciate it. Look at, as always, we want to take one final moment and say thank you to our audience for jumping aboard and being here with us on the show today. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you took anything away from it, this idea of, of crafting that, you know, really that well-defined succession strategy. Uh, and let's say you took, you know, something away that was helpful for you and yours. Well, do us a favor, subscribe to the show on whichever platform you checked us out on today. And then of course, share this information with any friends, family, business owners, anybody that you think would benefit from these conversations. You know, I've said it once before, I'll continue to say it. We're taking the same strategies, you know, solutions and ultimately conversations that Bob is having with his clients on a regular basis that Don is having with his clients. And we're bringing them to you guys right here on this show. And we'd hate to have you miss out on any potentially beneficial information for you in future episodes. So for Bob, for Don, I'm Ryan. We're going to go ahead and say so long, but we appreciate you guys joining us on today's installment of Lessons by the Lake. Oswego Private Wealth Management podcast may have been previously disseminated by Bob Adritus on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Bob Adritus or his guest as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only an expression of his or his guest's opinion. Bedritus's opinions are based upon information he considers reliable, but neither Oswego Private Wealth Management nor its affiliates warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. 
Madridis and Oswego Private Wealth Management are not under any obligation to update or correct any information provided. Investment advice offered by Oswego Private Wealth Management and does not guarantee any specific outcome or performance. You must make an independent decision regarding investments and strategies mentioned by Bedritus or a guest. Before acting on information you hear, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and strongly consider seeking advice from your own financial or investment advisor. This information is for general purposes only and is not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. Oswego Private Wealth Management does not provide legal, tax, mortgage advice or services. Please consult your legal tax advisor regarding your specific situation.